<laughs> My crock pot runneth over onto the floor mat for the best seat of the car. Uh, all right. Well, um, uh, well good morning. Uh, if you'll open with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 8, we'll continue our study in the book of Daniel. Let me open our time together in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, sovereign of all heaven and earth, we do come this morning to praise you for who you are and all that you've done uh, in the redemptive redemption of your people and how you so uh, wonderfully uh, rule the earth. We thank you for the picture of your sovereignty that's been presented to us in the book of Daniel, how it has demonstrated itself over um, the entirety of human history, raising up kingdoms and then bringing them down, uh, bringing us all to your uh, judgment seat where you will establish uh, forever and ever uh, your eternal kingdom. We thank you for your sovereignty as it's been displayed in the individual lives of your people, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, how you um, were with them in the fiery furnace, how you were with Daniel in the lion's den, how you um, uh, preserved them um, from the uh, evil intentions against them, how you protected them in the midst of a culture hostile to you and to your ways. Uh, help us learn from them and even learn uh, from these prophecies um, of evil days how we should live in expectation of the suffering uh, and evil that happens in this world, but how we should live in faith, knowing that um, the kingdoms of this world are but for a moment, whereas uh, you uh, who judge body and soul uh, will protect and preserve us forever. Give us insight into your word this morning. May your Holy Spirit uh, dwell richly amongst us as we talk, uh, unite us together in this message uh, that teaches us about who you are and what you uh, desire for us and how we should live in light of your coming kingdom. Uh, teach us not only in mind, but also instruct our wills that we might not just say the right things, but we would do your will. And we ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week, just to give you a little recap before we jump into chapter 8, um, last week was a transition week, uh, as we described it. The text shifted in Daniel chapter 7. We moved from the narrative portion of the book um, into this um, series of ap apocalyptic uh, visions. Um, but one thing uh, um, that uh, we talked about last week is that the central message of Daniel, though, remains the same. The genre of literature changes, but the message that God himself is the sovereign and ultimate disposer of the destinies of both individuals and nations. That sovereignty of God uh, continues to be the consistent theme. And we saw that last week um, with this um, vision of Daniel's of these monstrous kingdoms of the world one rising uh, um, after another. Um, but the focus wasn't on the kingdoms of the world, but how God holds those kingdoms accountable, how he's bringing them to judgment. Um, while Daniel needed uh, assistance in understanding the vision um, and asked for um, um, knowledge of these beasts, what he got instead wasn't a specific detailing of who these particular beasts were, but the certainty that the beast will um, uh, be judged and that their time over the saints is limited by God and that the, um, the saints inherit an everlasting kingdom, uh, one that is given, as we saw in chapter 7, to the Son of Man. This uh, beautiful um, uh, prophetic description of Jesus. Um, and so our big application from last week was that 
in the midst of this uh, beastly, uh, the beastly kingdoms of this world, in the midst of a kingdom of the world that sets itself in opposition to the kingdom of God, we must live our lives with our eyes firmly fixed on the heavenly throne room. Instead of being terrified by the beast, we must live remembering the one who will deliver the final and decisive judgment. So as we turn to chapter 8, um, we will again have this um, pattern of a um, Daniel having a vision and then having an angelic interpretation. Um, and again, like chapter 7, uh, um, there's God's power over kingdoms, coming kingdoms, is prophesied um, with a specific focus on, on one particular uh, um, tyrannical blasphemer um, who sets himself not just against God's people, but against God himself. So with that as an uh, introduction, uh, hear now the word of God from Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the capital, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw him in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was none who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west, across the face of the whole earth, without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram, and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great, even to the host of heaven, and some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, and a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard the, a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai. And it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, 
a king of bold face, who, one who understands riddles shall rise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that you have been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but was, I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Thus far, the word of our God, may he open it in our hearts and minds as we uh, consider it this morning. All right. Um, like last week, um, the vision is, is put in a particular temporal context. Um, last week we saw the Daniel's vision was placed in the first year of King Belshazzar. Uh, this one's coming in the third um, year of King Belshazzar. Um, but this time he, he goes into lots of um, specific details um, about his physical location in the vision. So it's a very different kind of, um, uh, it, yeah, it's placing him in very specific places. So, yeah, why? Why start um, this particular vision with a very specific description of Daniel's location? How does that set a different kind of tone or theme for this particular vision? Yeah, David. In what way? Flesh it out a little more. Yeah, he's putting himself in a very specific place and context like Ezekiel. And, and like Ezekiel, sometimes Ezekiel envisions goes to particular places and sees particular things that are happening. He's giving, being given a God's eye view of those things, but it's, he, he's, um, he's placing himself in a very specific time and place. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the last vision was more, um, more that, that grand scale of, you know, earthly kingdom against the kingdom of God. And it, it has reference to real kingdoms, but that wasn't the point of it. Whereas this one is, is very specifically rooted in, as you say, even in the interpretation, naming particular peoples and particular places. And what's interesting... Um, uh, these locations aren't Babylonian locations. These are Persian locations. So he's placing, his vision is placing him in Susa, the capital, um, one of the capitals of the media Persian empire. Um, you know, so he's putting himself, you know, uh, visionary, he's being placed in a physical location in the Persian empire. And he's seeing a prophecy that concerns the Medes, the Persians, and then what comes after them. Um, good. Others? You want to say about the specificity before we dig in? Okay. Last week it was monsters <laughs> or, you know, these um, beasts that, um, you know, have, have mixed attributes. There are no physical beasts that anyone has ever seen before. Um, this week it's, it's, it's sheep and goats. <laughs> or ram and goats. Um, so in the first part of his vision, what is stressed about um, these two kingdoms um, that are coming? So in this vision of this ram, and then the vision of the, the ram with two horns, and then the goat with one horn, um, yeah, what, what's, what are, what's being communicated in the vision about these two kingdoms? Yeah, David.
Yeah, so the, the ram with two horns, you know, it's the Medes and Persians. Like, it's a two-headed, and one horn's bigger than the other because the Persians are really more important than the Medes. Um, and then this, this um, goat that starts with one horn, um, and, and again, as we're given a specific interpretation this time, um, that horn uh, um, is the the great horn between his eyes is the first king, so specifically naming that this, this goat is Greece and the single horn is the, the first king of this empire, so uh, Alexander the Great. Um, so it's, um, it's giving us a picture of um, two symbols of two kingdoms and how they're going to come into conflict with one another. Yeah, the emphasis on speed, um, the emphasis on, um, you know, totality and every direction it's going out with, with great speed, you know, and the idea of the goat is, is coming west um, so fast, its feet aren't even touching the ground. It's, you know, it's, it's at that full gallop. Um, it's, it's coming with such swiftness. Um, and then there's also this emphasis on the, the greatness and totality of power um, that these king, kingdoms possessed. Um, so with the ram, no beast could stand before him. There was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Um, so what a, um, a picture of a kingdom that uh, has risen swiftly, risen to greatness, and the appearances, no one... Um, is greater than this kingdom until the next kingdom <laughs> comes along. And I love the, the parallel, you know, so you have the ram, um, no one could stand before him, there was none who could rescue from his power. Uh, and then just a couple of verses later, um, in verse 7, and the ram had no power to stand before him, the, the goat, uh, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. So, you know, you have this picture of this, this ram that um, is charging everywhere and no one can stand between its horns and it, whatever it wants, it, it does. And you could uh, imagine, and, and again, like put yourself in the midst of kingdoms. Like when you're in the middle of a kingdom like one of these, you think, man, this is it. Like this is the kingdom beyond all kingdoms. And... Um, this one, this one's great. This one's going to last. And um, nope, <laughs> there's another one that comes along. And that one's great. And the one who no one could stand before it, now it can't stand before this other power. Um, so uh, this, this picture of the rise of these great kingdoms and it's swift and its power seems um, inevitable and you can't, um, you can't thwart it, but then another kingdom comes along and, and, and conquers it um, and tramples it into the ground. Um, and, and what a picture of how these kingdoms interact with each other. Other things that strike you about um, these kingdoms and how Daniel's describing them here? It's nice that we have, um, you know, Specific interpretation, we don't have to be guessing about who these are. <laughs> the angel says, the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece. Um, and, and in terms of, you know, we're, unlike Daniel, we're on the other side of, of uh, these kingdoms, we're the other side of these events, so we can read back with... Um, uh, some historical knowledge. So Alexander um, did invade Persia and pretty swiftly and took down a much larger Persian army. Um, but just as he was coming into his, his strength, um, he, his, you know, as it says, 
The goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Um, Alexander, at the height of his conquest, the powers, and I think I said this earlier in the semester um, in a prior reference to, um, prophetic reference to Alexander, that he, he reportedly cried because there was nowhere else on earth for him to conquer. Um, you know, so at the height of his power, he died, um, 33 years old. So still, um, still um, very much in the prowess of life, and yet he gets, his, he gets cut off. Um, and when he dies, um, the, the, this Greek empire, Macedonian empire that Alexander created, gets divided amongst four other kings. So again, we're being given very specific prophecy about you know, these, these world kingdoms that arise in the um, eastern half of the Mediterranean and Near Eastern worlds. Um, so you have this great king, and then he's, he gets cut off, and so these four other horns, these four other little kingdoms rise and take his place. So why give this prophetic... Um, so what's the point of, of telling Daniel you know, uh, still in captivity in Babylon, taking him in this vision to um, the capital of the Persian Empire to show him the destruction of the Persian Empire and what comes after it. What do we learn from, from this? Yeah, so it's setting the stage, even, and, and like if we were to look at a world history textbook, the world history textbook is going to focus on verses 1 through 8, you know, these kingdoms, like it, it's all about the Persian Empire, and then it's all about Alexander and the, the, the um, empire of the Greeks is created. But in Daniel's vision, that's prologue. <laughs> That's setting historical context and background for this one little horn that he's setting up and he wants to talk about and is the one that is the focus um, and is going to have these um, uh, disastrous consequences for the people of God. Like that, so yeah, he's, he's setting like from the world's perspective, these are the great empires, but in Daniel's perspective, this is the, or in the vision that Daniel's being given, this is the backdrop to set up this one, you know, set the stage for this one little horn who is going to um, uh, engage in spiritual as well as physical battle against the people of God. Others, why, why give the history lesson? So one, it's setting the stage for um, the rest of this prophetic vision. Um, what else? You know, God's prophesying to Daniel events that are happening hundreds of years in the future. Um, what does that tell us? Yeah, Ron. Yeah, that this is, like, it's a demonstration of his sovereignty. Like, he is the God who holds the future in his hand. And though, um, as we'll see in the latter half of this vision, this, there's going to be some horrible things for the people of God. Um, kingdom, God can bring these kingdoms down. These kingdoms that um, are ex seemingly inexorable um, can be swiftly destroyed just as swiftly as they rise. Um, that God has power over them and the future destinies of man, and particularly the future destiny of his people. Uh, Tim, I saw your
Yeah, and just like, you know, God tells Isaiah, you know, your people are going to be taken into captivity to Babylon, but it's only going to be for 70 years. Like, it's, it's got a set time. So he's letting the people of God know um, that these things are happening, um, but there's a time set to them that they, they have a particular season, um, but, you know, God will restore them. God will judge the powers over them and work on behalf of his, his people. Um, so when they're in the midst of those moments, they have hope. Um, and that's the, the theme of apocalyptic prophecy is it's, it's giving believers hope when they're living through these horrible things. And as we dig into what this little horn's going to do in particular, it's horrible. Um, and it, it turns Daniel's stomach to think what's going to happen to the people of God. Um, but he's being shown, you know, um, like, you know, we're starting with that big picture of history that God has laid out. God's in control of the big things. And he's also in control of this one remote corner of the eastern Mediterranean where his people are. And he's concerned for, for them particularly, not just the, the big uh, global stage, but he's particularly concerned about what's happening in the lives of his people. Yeah, that this idea that, yeah, he, he's, he's coming, but, you know, as we've seen over and over again, that, that message that um, Daniel presented before Nebuchadnezzar over and over again, yes, you're great, O king, but there's one greater than you. <laughs> um, yes, you're great, O king, but your greatness is a gift from someone else, um, and it can be snatched from you. Um, so you have to acknowledge the sovereignty of the one over you. And here, yeah, whatever greatness this guy has, um, it, it's not because he himself is great. Um, it's because that um, in, in God's purposes, God is raising him up and giving him a power and a greatness um, for this particular moment. Um, and then when God's done with him, <laughs> you know, swiftly dispatches him. Um. <laughs> I'm, I'm not about that, and I, and I don't really want to get all tied up in, in the kingdom because it's about to fall anyway. And it, it gives him a, a certain backbone not to be swayed by the things that, that particularly will are critical, uh, either to depress about what may happen in the future uh, or to be overly uh, almost idolatrous about what might happen in the future, what uh, prestige we can Yeah, and that's a great way to, to, to think about how this vision is equipping not just Daniel, but us. Like, and as you say, like, don't be swayed by the powers of this world and the circumstances we might be in, um, either through being paralyzed by fear, like, um, you know, or the idea, well, if it's going to be destroyed, there's you know, nothing I, you know, I, I can just give up. <laughs> um, I love uh, Martin Luther 
Um, there's a story that's told about Martin Luther. Someone asked him what he would do if he knew the world was going to end tomorrow, and his response was, plant a tree, um, because that's what he was planning to do that day, plant a tree. <laughs> so, and I think that testifies to that sense of faithfulness. Like, you don't have to be overwhelmed um, by the, the, you know, this, this sense of, um, of these, these powers that are seeking to, um, to, to destroy God's people, um, that there's evil in the world. Um, it, it equips Daniel. You know, he feels like, and again, we'll, we'll get to this some more. In, he, he really feels for what's going to happen to his people, even though it's not going to happen to him. It's not Hezekiah's response. Like when he, Isaiah tells Hezekiah about the, you know, the Babylonian captivity, Hezekiah's like, whew, at least it's not going to happen in my life. Uh, and that could be Daniel's response. Well, oh, oh, it's it's a long, long time away, as the angel says. You know, it, it's many days from now. Like this is, and, and Daniel could be like, "Ooh, uh, I thought it was bad living under Belshazzar, but you know, this is going to be worse." And no, it, it, you know, he is really deeply affected by what's going to happen to the people of God in this future kingdom. Um, but he's not paralyzed by it. Um, you know, it, it also, uh, you know, it, it leads him, as, you, as, as Pastor Kerr says, to, to, to being faithful. All right, well, let's um, spend some time talking about the little horn. So we, again, we move from kind of the world stage of history to specifically um, this, uh, you know, little horn that arises um, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Um, so, um, yeah, what are we told about uh, the, this little horn and his reign? What strikes you about um, the visionary picture of this little horn? Yes, Tim. I mean, it's yeah. We we have to figure that out. <laughs> um, um, but but yeah. Um, it, and it, emphasizing, like you say, with Revelation, it's not just an earthly kingdom that rises. This and, and why is Daniel or the vision focusing on this one particular one? Because it's not as great as the Persian Empire, and it's not as great as Alexander's empire. This is a small horn comparatively. But why does it focus on this one? Because this horn isn't just waging physical warfare against the people of God, that this is cosmic warfare. This is spiritual warfare. And so it's using that heavenly language to describe this king who is, isn't just acting against the people of God, but is acting against God himself um, in this cosmic spiritual warfare. Um, so it's, it's not just... You know, again, it's not just physical events in pa the land of Palestine. The physical events on this land of Palestine are like, you know, the tip of the iceberg behind this, this cosmic spiritual battle going on um, behind the scenes. Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, and the vision says that. The regular burnt offering is taken away. The place of the sanctuary is overthrown. Um, you know, uh, the, the regular burnt offering is going to be, be gone. And in its place, um, there's going to be, um, you know, the transgression that makes desolate. Um, and, and literally a desecration, an act, an act of abomination in the temple of God. Um, and trampling the, the host of God's people um, underfoot. Um, as the angel says, 
you know, he will destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints, the holy ones of, of God, the, God's people. So this is a guy um, who's coming to power, who, who again is not just ruling an earthly kingdom, but is setting out to destroy the worship of the living God. Um, so it's, it's more than just, you know, I conquered you and now you owe me allegiance. I conquered you and I'm going to wipe out um, your, your religious beliefs. I'm going to try to wipe out the practice of worship to the living God. So just a, a this seems to pretty clearly refer to a particular um, Greek monarch, um, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, and if you, the word epiphany sound familiar? Uh, God made manifest. So, you know, uh, that, that's his nickname. Um, so that should tell you a lot about what he thinks about himself. Um, God in the flesh. <laughs> Here I am, Antiochus. Um, Antiochus, um, it, you know, and I am a living manifestation of the gods. Um, and, and it's that kind of um, sense of self that he has. He's setting himself up not just as a king, but as a god. Um, incidentally, people would, um, behind his back, call him Epimenes instead of Epiphanes, um, which is it's just one letter change in the Greek, which means um, Antiochus, the madman. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, and he did. Like, he banned circumcision. He brought an end to sacrifices in the temple of Jerusalem. Um, he's off in Egypt. There are rumors circulated that he died. Um, he heard that the, the Jewish people celebrated his death, so then he came back and he, he sacrificed a pig on the altar um, uh, in the temple and then set up an image of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. So he, and, and killed tens of tens of thousands of Jews, just, you know, absolute slaughter and destruction, trying to um, not just rule them, but to... Um, uh, completely efface the worship of God um, and replace um, their language, their culture, with um, Greek culture and Greek gods. So, um, so you know, as we think about the the person who um, Daniel is foreseeing here, you know, again, imagine Daniel seeing these horrible things in his vision taking place, like the desecration of the temple and, you know, these unclean acts taking place in the Holy of Holies. How disturbing that's going to be for him. Good. What else strikes you about this little horn? So he's um, setting himself up to be great um, and, and not just great among men, but um, setting himself up as a god. He does horrible things to the people of God tries to eliminate the worship. What else do we learn about this little horn? Um, so, yeah, so there are two different ways people, so it's for 2,300 evenings and mornings. So some people... Uh, interpret that as um, 2,300 days, um, which is roughly uh, a little less than seven years. Um, or um, the other way people have read it is 2,300 evening and morning sacrifices. Um, so, you know, does it refer to evening, morning, one day, or does it refer to evening sacrifice, morning sacrifice? So for 2,300 sacrifices that are supposed to be taking place at the temple, they're not going to be taking place. Um, but with that, like, so, which would be, you know, three and a half years, um, roughly. So, so if we, either way we take it, though, if it's 2,300 days or 2,300 sacrifices, seven years or, or, um, or three years, um, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a time measured in days. Uh, and, and I think it's significant that like, last week we were given that very unspecific, a time 
times and half a time. Like, <laughs> um, but this one is 2,300 days. Like, you know, and, and it's this idea, yeah, it's going to happen. There aren't going to be, there's not going to be sacrifices in the temple, um, but it's, it's, it's limited. Like, it's, it's got a very fixed, concrete number set to it. Um, which, again, like, yes, this guy is going to do horrible things and he's going to desecrate the temple of God, but only for a season, only for a time that can be measured in days, um, which I think is instructive. And again, like this idea that um, these things, God, God has, has precise limits to these things. That yeah, that that this is um, you know God is working things out in a precise way. Um, and again, that there is a fixed limit, like. Horrible things are going to happen to the people of God. Like, you know, the people of God are going to be handed over to this madman. Um, and, you know, who's cunning. Um, um, but his cunning is, is prospering deceit. You know, it's prospering deception. Um, and again, that this isn't just, um, you know, physical language. This is... You know, he, he's being described, um, as Tim said earlier, in these kind of cosmic, satanic terms. Like, um, and it, he's doing horrible things for deceitful purposes, setting himself in opposition, not just to the people of God, but to God himself and the worship of him. But God has put a fixed limit on it. Um, that there's a fixed enumeration um, to the length of his reign. Yeah, that some people read um, uh, um, when the transgressors have reached their limit in verse 23 um, as, again, as, like something happens that, you know, the transgression has come to, a, to reach a limit where God needs to punish it. Um, or as well as some people say, um, hold on, let me see if I can find it. Um, this other line, um, oh, in verse 12, and a host will be given over to it together with regular burnt offerings because of transgression. Um, so, um, yeah, so some people interpret those as hints that the people of God, again, fall into the cycle of transgressing the laws of God and are being punished for it. But either way, horrible things are going to happen to the people of God, and it's going to lead to these horrible consequences. Um, and again, like, he's in exile still. The return hasn't taken place yet. Like, um, Darius hasn't come to the throne yet. He's still in the third year of, of Belshazzar and, um, you know, doesn't yet see the, the, the return of the people of God um, to Jerusalem. He doesn't see the, yet the rebuilding process for rebuilding the temple. So he's so he, he has hopes of these things, and he knows all the prophecies that the people of God are going to turn to Jerusalem and the temple's going to be rebuilt. He knows all these things, promises. And he might be thinking, well, once we're back, then it's all going to be good. <laughs> um, but he's seeing a time they're going to go back, and yet, again, there will be further um, destruction and desecration of God's temple. 
Um, which, you know, as we see, like, why is this so distressing to Daniel? Like, um, you know, so much to the, you know, he made him sick <laughs> um, for days. Um, and it's like seeing that this is going to, horrible things are going to happen to um, the people of God after they go back. Like after, you know, it's supposed to be the restoration, um, the remnant returns, the temple's rebuilt. Um, and yet, no, the people of God are going to suffer again. The temple's going to be desecrated again. Um, so um, you could see how that's going to be uh, distressing to him. That that kingdom um, that's going to be restored to Jerusalem isn't yet that eternal kingdom that um, Daniel saw in the last vision. Like that, there this this isn't going to be um, the the Son of Man hasn't yet come um, to establish that kingdom. Um, but it's it's coming. We're getting close to that time, but not yet. Yes, that it seems like on a cosmic scale, God's losing, as you said. Like, it, and it's going to, by having this prophecy ahead of time, you know, God is equipping the people of God. Like, there, there are going to be times where, it, you know, you think I'm, I'm, you know, we're losing. Like, you know, that the battle's lost, that the people of God are overthrown. Um, is, and, you know, and the temptation is going to be, well, is God, is it real? You know, is, is God really on his throne? Is God really powerful? Um, and, and I think that with all the specificity that's being given here of these future kingdom, he's preparing his people like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's temporary. Um, it's this cosmic battle that goes on and, um, you know, like to sort of think of um, the, you know, the first prophecy we're given in Genesis, like, you know, um, the prophecy regarding the serpent um, and the, the offspring of, of Eve. The, you know, the, the snake's going to strike his heel, but, you know, he's, the serpent's going to get crushed. Like, you could think this, you know, like, and it's that idea that um, it, there are going to be moments it looks like the serpent is going to win, um, but it's it's going to get crushed, um, and that you know on this cosmic scale of things, it there are going to be moments it looks like Satan and his minions are winning, um, but don't be fooled, um, don't be discouraged, don't lose hope, because it's temporary, it's it's for a time. Um, and the time has a very precise limit set by God, and it's for God's purposes. Um, you know, and thinking of like um, the picture in Revelation of the serpent, um, you know, seeking to devour the the child of the woman, um, and it, the, but it's 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 thrashing around a lot, but it's 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 already been killed. Like the death blow's been struck, and it's just, you know. Um, my next door neighbor, um, growing up, had a uh, landscaping business, and and uh, he'd go bush hog like these big. Um, they're not well. They were farms, but they weren't like actual. They they just had big grassy lots that had you couldn't cut with a normal lawnmower. So um, uh, every now and then I I'd go help him, um, and uh, he'd pay me. Uh, I didn't do this for free. Um, but um, so I remember one time the bush hog hit a rattlesnake's nest um, and, uh, you know, lopped off, you know, lopped these rattlesnakes into pieces. And so, you know, 
the head is, is, is severed from the body and you know, you stick a stick out, like and it still bites, like it still has that um, nerve impulse. And that's kind of like what I think, like it's still dangerous, it still has fangs, but it's dead, like, you know. Um, and that's the picture I think um, we're given of, of Satan throughout the scriptures, like Christ has come and struck the death blow. And yeah, he's, he's still roaring around, uh, raging like a lion, seeking to devour our souls, but the death blow's been struck. Um, and so don't be deceived into thinking um, as, you know, in the midst of horrible circumstances, midst of horrible things happening to the people of God, don't be deceived into thinking the kingdom of Satan has won. The kingdom of this world is winning. Um, God sits on his throne. Um, God has set a limit um, to these things. And God will bring judgment on those who do these things to his people. Um, seal it has um, two different senses. So one, you seal things to keep them private. You also um, seal things to keep them safe. Like, so we could read it as, you know, hold on to this vision, protect this vision, like make sure that, you know, you keep this vision safe because this is a vision that my people need to know. So it doesn't necessarily mean conceal the vision from the people. It could also mean, um, you know, protect, preserve the vision for the people. So it kind of, what sense of seal is being used here? So I would say, um, but, and because he's writing it down, <laughs> I don't think he's meant to, to hold it, but he needs to make sure it, it, you know, it's preserved because you're sealing it for it refers to many days from now. Like, so you want to make sure this vision is preserved for those people who, you know, 300 years after Daniel are going to need these words. They're going to need, as they're under this awful guy, they're going to need this message to help them remember, you know, to, to not lose heart, to not lose hope, to, to know that there is a God who's enthroned, who's set a limit to these things. And it's a precise limit. Um, and it's a precisely identified limit um, as, as Brian said, you know, it's, it, the timing of it is, is perfectly in God's hands. So as we think about the, the application of this, um, you know, it, this is a word, I think, for us to think as we see our culture um, set its face more and more against God and as we pray every week for um, our brothers and sisters around the world who are under intense persecution. We're not, um, but there are people, um, believers, who are. Um, and it, it can, when you're in the middle of that, it can seem like there's no end in sight. Um, you can, can get lost in that. You can get despondent in that. And the message that Daniel is giving us here is, um, and, and you can feel sick for that. Like, again, like Daniel's not just, sort of reacting like, you know, again, it's not the Hezekiah response. At least it's not me. Like, and we can do that. Like, well, at least, you know, I'm in the United States and I'm not facing the persecution that, who, who are we praying for today? Like, I'm not facing the things that my brothers and sisters, like, we could, we could literally react that way. Well, at least that's not us. That's not the appropriate response. You know, I think Daniel is giving us the appropriate response. We should, um, absolutely feel for those people and um, like um, these um, angelic figures here, you know, cry out to God, how long? Um, you know, as we have that picture in Revelation of the, the martyrs, um, the, you know, those who've been killed for the sake of, of his name, crying out, how long? And that should be us. Like, how long are these things going to, to last? We cry that out knowing that they are um, we can pray that because we know they're, they're not eternal. This is not the ultimate reality, that these things are for a, a time, for a season, 
and that God is working for the good of his people. Other things we want to say in terms of application before we end for today? So I, I, again, I think this is a good, um, uh, a good vision to, to sort of understand the need to, um, to remember while we're under these kingdoms of the world that seem so powerful or forces of this world that seem so strong and that their course is set and that their greatness is unlimited to realize that there's a one greater than them that has set a limit to the kingdoms of this world, that set a limit to the, um, to the desolation of the people of God, um, and who is working to establish a kingdom that is eternal. Um, so it's a message of hope um, in the midst of pressure, persecution, um, that, that seems to have no immediate end in sight, to remember that there is an end, there is a limit set to these things by our holy God. Yes, Tim. The, which, 27, and I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. I think it's a great question because the whole second, the interpretation, um, like the, the word that gets repeated um, is understand. So Daniel saw the vision, I saw it to understand it. Um, and then this voice says, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And then uh, the, the um, angel turns to Daniel and says, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And then at the end, Daniel's like, I don't understand. <laughs> um, and I think, um, I think you are, I think it is the why. Like, I don't think it's, I don't, like, you know, it's like sometimes somebody tells, you know, tells me something and I'm like, I don't understand, and then they start repeating it to me. <laughs> um, like, I, I have a, a student who's TAing for another professor who I, I'm glad I don't know who this particular person is because the, the way the student's reporting to me. To me, this professor, like, like, um, yeah, it, I, it doesn't paint a very flattering picture of this professor. And like, so he'll give her instructions, and she'll be like, you know, I, I don't understand, um, you know. And her question is, I don't understand why you want me to do this. Um, and his response to that is to repeat the instructions. It's like, no, I understand the instructions. <laughs> What's why? And I think maybe that's like, you know, um, and that's the hard part for us, like to understand, um, you know, this question of, of, you know, Job's question, like, you know, why, why, why did bad stuff happen to the people of God? And we're not always given the clear reason. I mean, again, I think it's a sign of the depth with which Daniel is identifying with his people and with the temple of God, like, like, you know, he's seen a vision of God's holy place being desecrated in the most abominable way that a Jewish man can imagine. Um, I mean, again, it's very much like Ezekiel's vision of the temple, and it's got all these creepy, crawly things. Like, it's, it's horrifying um, for a Jewish man to think of these things happen. And even though he understands it's going to happen, and it's gonna, God has set a limit to it, um, I think it is, Tim, that, that why. Like, it's still hard when you're in the middle of it, when you see it, um, to understand how could God allow this to happen, which, I, you know, is the human response. Like, we don't live, um, uh, we don't live our lives with perfect understanding of God's ways. God's ways are God's ways, and there are things that God does that are still mysteries to us, and that's how we have to, to live. All right, well, well, we're beyond time, so let me close this prayer. Gracious God, we do thank you for how you hold the future. 
Um, truly, we don't know uh, what tomorrow brings. Um, we make plans. Uh, we, uh, we think uh, we have our schedule for this week laid out. Um, but in reality, it's you who holds the future. So it's you to whom we should hope and trust. Um, uh, give us strength to be faithful, um, to take the vision, um, and as Daniel did, respond to it um, by going about his labors faithfully, um, knowing and that you hold the future, that we don't have to be anxious about these things, as Jesus says, uh, why be anxious about tomorrow, um, but instead trust in you um, that uh, not a hair from our head falls without, um, without you bringing it about. Um, and so help us to um, put our hope in you to not be uh, taken captive by the things of this world, by the politics of this world, um, by the powers of this world, by the events of this world, but to look to you um, who overrules this world and is directing all things to their perfect end. Help us now, even as we come to worship you in this coming hour, we pray in the name of our King, Jesus Christ, by the power of his Spirit. Amen.